I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Glad you got out of bed on time. Glad I got out of bed on time. That's nice, isn't it? To uh, have a clock that automatically changes so I don't have to worry about remembering that. That's a, that's a good thing for me. We are in a series of Bible studies here on going through a series that we use to teach the gospel to people who aren't Christians, people who don't know much about the Bible. And uh, we are on the third of the five studies, and we've broken them down into two parts each for the purpose of this series. And we've been talking about Jesus Christ. And this is a chart that I use at the very first of, of the study. I draw this out and explain it to people. And then every time we come back to the study, we begin by redrawing this chart. Now, I use this chart in my Bible classes at school. I expect my children or my students to learn to draw this and to understand because this gives you a real good overview of the Bible as one book. Now, really, there's 66 books in it, but they're all woven together, and they all have a purpose. It begins with the age of the fathers, and that starts in Genesis in the very beginning, and that lasts for about 2,500 years, and their religion there is a family religion. What we mean by that is God takes the old man or the patriarch of the family and he says get your family and go do this Abraham get your family and do that Noah get your family and do this and that's the way God dealt with people that changed at the mountain when Moses was given the Ten Commandments and the law of God from that point on God began to deal with people through prophets God would speak to Joel or God would speak to Habakkuk or Daniel and he would say, go and tell the people this. Say this to the people. And he would take this message to the people. That was a time of national religion. The law was the law of Moses that was given on that mountain. And if you wanted a special relationship with God during that period of time, you were a part of this nation of Israel. They were his special people, and that lasted about 1,500 years. And we are going to read today and study and talk about the end of that. Because Jesus Christ lived right here. And, you know, all of the message of the Old Testament from the very beginning when man first sinned, God made a promise that he would send a Savior. And all of the Old Testament is about he's coming. He's coming. The Messiah's going to come. He's going to be here and He's going to deal with sin and He's going to be like nothing you can imagine. This series of studies, this last week and this week, are about this period of time right here where Jesus Christ is actually here. Okay? So the life of Jesus. Last week we talked about Jesus as the Son of God. That Jesus is God. He is eternal. He is a cr the creator. He is deity. He came to save the lost. He brought a new covenant. A covenant is an agreement between God and man. And he built his church. And we talked about all those different aspects of him in a spiritual way. It was mentioned in the prayer that uh, we have a concern about our health, right? There's a, there's a lot of 
coronavirus advice out there, right? And all kinds of stuff. When we cleaned the church this week, we took the Clorox wipes and went around and wiped all the, the light switches and all the door doorknobs and everything that we all touch all the time because we want to protect people from getting a virus and getting sick and dying, right? But it was mentioned in the prayer, we need to be as concerned about our spiritual health as we are about our physical health. I'd say amen to that, wouldn't you? Our spiritual health is really, really important. Jesus was both sides of that. Jesus was a man, but Jesus was, was the Son of God. He was like no one else who's ever lived. He was God on this earth. As His name was, God with us. That's what they called Him. Because that's who he was. But in the early days, there were a group of people who we would call, the term for them was Gnostics. And they had a, a very particular belief, these Gnostics did back in the first century, and their belief was this, everything spiritual is good and everything physical is bad. And that showed itself in two different ways. Some of them said, because everything spiritual is good and everything physical is bad, we're going to beat our bodies and we're going to deprive ourselves because we hate this body and this flesh and everything in it is bad. Other ones said, hey, it is what it is. Spiritual is good, physical is bad, so it doesn't really matter what happens in the physical and they just uh, indulged their physical bodies. But one of the things these people did when they became Christians is a lot of them began to deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Because you see, if He's God, how can He be flesh? Because flesh is wicked and flesh is evil. And how could God be flesh and still be spiritual? But the Bible very clearly, very plainly tells us that Jesus was flesh. In fact... The Bible says not to have anything to do with people who deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. That's what he says in 3 John. So today we're going to talk about this fleshly side of Jesus. The Bible says in John 1, 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You're familiar maybe with the fact that John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is the one that... Jesus Christ was. The Word came to earth as Jesus Christ. And notice here, it says the Word became flesh. Not the Word came and dwelt in flesh, but the Word actually became flesh. God became a man. How did that happen? I don't know. I can't understand that. Those things are so far beyond and above me, but I know that it's true because God said so. The Word actually became flesh. And the way that happened is Jesus Christ was born. His mother Mary was chosen. His father Joseph, they were engaged or betrothed, which was like an engagement, only, only stronger. And yet they had never been together physically, intimately. His mother was a virgin. 
she became with child. An angel came and told her that was going to happen. She went and visited her cousin Elizabeth, who was expecting a baby. She comes home expectant. And Joseph goes, oh my goodness, she's cheated on me. And she goes, no, it was a miracle. And Joseph isn't buying that. Would you believe that? There's not a man in here who would believe that. But an angel appeared to him and he said, no, she's telling the truth. She's telling the truth. And so Joseph took her and he said, okay, this is what we're going to do. About that time, there was a decree that said that everyone had to go back to their hometown where their family came from, traditionally, to be taxed. It was a little different than the way taxes work today. So they headed home to their hometown. Well, interestingly enough, the prophecy was that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And guess where Joseph's family was from? Bethlehem, and they head to Bethlehem. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. See, everybody had to go back to their hometown. And there were no available hotel rooms. So this baby was born and laid in a manger. And it was the Messiah, the Son of God. And He was flesh. He was a baby, just like a baby. I mean, I look around and I see some little ones. We've got John and Laura expecting one, what, three days ago? Two or three days ago? We're going to have more baby. Jesus was just a... I mean, He was a baby. If you looked at Him, you'd see a baby. He was flesh. God came as a human being. We know very little about His life when He was a child. In fact, we know very little about Him until He was 30 years old. What happened? Well, we know they went to Egypt to hide from Herod who wanted to kill Him. We know He came back and stayed in Nazareth we know a little bit, but we know his dad was a carpenter. We know he became a carpenter. But as far as stories from his child, wouldn't it be interesting to know all the stories about you know, things that happened between he and his brothers and, and you know his education and what the teachers thought of him? And Wouldn't that be fascinating? But we don't have any of that information. We've got one story from when he was a child, and that story is this. They went to Jerusalem to worship. And when they left, they were all together, traveling together as a big family. And I don't know why they didn't pay attention to where Jesus was. I'm sure He was just running around with the cousins and, and they just missed Him. Have you ever lost a child? Ever misplaced a child? Most parents have to some degree. My... Uh, Mom took all of the grandkids to Galveston one time years ago and they were all out on the beach and they got ready to leave and Jerrica was not paying attention and all of a sudden she looks up and there goes Granny's van. <laughs> she took off. To, they were leaving her. She caught them and she didn't get left, thankfully. But you know that can happen when you got a bunch of kids. They misplaced Jesus. 
Come supper time, they start looking for him and nobody knows where Jesus is. We hadn't seen him since we left. Joseph and Mary go back and they search for him for three days. Can you imagine the horror and the panic that they had looking for their children, their child for three days? They finally find him and Jesus says this, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. I have no doubt that a lot of stuff like this happened. That they, they, I mean, they know who he is, but they just don't get the picture. They just don't understand. He says, didn't you know? I mean, what are you looking for me for? They found him in the temple, asking questions and answering questions. And he said, didn't you know I have to be about my father's business? The kid's 12. What's his dad do? His dad's a carpenter. They're going, what are you fixing the pews or something? What are you doing here in the temple? They didn't understand. But he was about his father's business. He knew he had a purpose. And he was singularly focused on that purpose. The next thing we know about Jesus is his baptism when he was 30 years old. The Bible says when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven, which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. Jesus went to his cousin John, John the Baptist. Baptist means baptizer. It doesn't mean Baptist as opposed to Methodist as opposed to Catholic. It means a baptizer. John was the first guy that ever baptized. And Jesus went to him to be baptized because everybody else is going to John to be baptized. He preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And Jesus came and John goes, you ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, let's just do it this way to fulfill all righteousness. And he was baptized. And a dove, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, came down from heaven and landed on Jesus. And God spoke from heaven. And he said, you're my son and I'm pleased with you. This was the beginning of what we call Jesus' public ministry. And it lasted for two and a half to three years where He went around and preached publicly. You know, one of the interesting things to me as an apologetics teacher is that Jesus Christ was a peasant. He lived in a small area in the Middle East and all He ever did was walk around and talk to people. He didn't lead great armies. He wasn't a king. Nothing. And He had such an impact on the world that our calendar is counted from His birth. It's interesting. He walked around for two and a half years And there were some things that really stood out about His ministry, about His work when He walked around. One is that Jesus did miracles. Jesus wasn't like everyone else in the sense that Jesus had control. And His miracles fell into two categories. He had miracles where He controlled nature, like when He walked on the water. They tell me when I was a kid, I heard a sermon about walking on the water, and I told someone, I only know two people could walk on the water. That's Jesus and Uncle Roger. Because I'd seen my Uncle Roger water ski. <laughs> and I thought that was... He wasn't water skiing, folks. He was walking on water. Really. On a big sea in a storm. 
People don't do that. He calmed the storm. He was in the ship one time and the storm was raging and his, his men who were, they were seasoned sailors. They were out there and they were afraid they were going to die and they wake up Jesus who's sleeping. They say, don't you care we're going to die? And he comes up and he rebukes the storm and it's just like glass. Can you imagine what it would be like to see those things? It's just beyond comprehension to me. Not only that, but Jesus controlled health. Jesus controlled disease. You know, the coronavirus would not have frightened Jesus. The Bible tells us He healed all manner of diseases. It didn't matter what it was, Jesus healed it. It was like going down to the hospitals and sending everyone home well. It wasn't like this stuff you see on TV. It was real. Jesus healed disease. One of the most amazing stories is when he was being arrested and Peter took a sword and took a swing at a guy who ducked and Peter still got his ear, cut it off, and Jesus just picked up the ear and put it back on his head. And it was healed. Can you imagine? That would catch people's attention, wouldn't it? It did. Thousands of people followed Jesus. They wanted healing. You know, people will spend any amount of money and do anything to be healed of their diseases, won't they? Vernon here not long ago laid down and let him do a rotor on his veins in his heart, right? He did that for his health. There's no other reason. He was, he was nervous about that, weren't you, Vernon? Yeah. Why would you do something like that? Well, because of my health. <laughs> I want it restored. People would go to Jesus for that healing. Another thing that really stood out about his ministry is the way he taught. Jesus taught differently than everyone else. Jesus taught in parables, and the Bible tells us that these parables were stories that had a spiritual meaning. And it's, it's bizarre to me when I think about it because you got these thousands of people who've come around and Jesus has healed them and fed them and stuff, and he stands up in front of them, and instead of telling them, okay guys, I'm the Son of God, and here's what you needed, instead of being straightforward like that, Jesus would tell them stories. Stories like the story of the hidden treasure. He said there was a man who was working in a field and he found a treasure hidden in this field. And so he went and he sold everything he had and went back and bought the field so he could have the treasure. The kingdom of heaven's like a guy who traded in, in jewels and pearls. And he found one pearl that was worth more than all of his business assets combined. So he went and sold everything he owned and bought that pearl. Because it was so valuable. He told a story about ten virgins. They were the bridesmaids and groomsmen at a wedding. And they were to be prepared. You know, they didn't have the electric lights like we do. They had oil lamps. And the groomsmen said, you be ready and you wait, I'm going to come. And when he showed up, five of them had run out of oil. And they went to the other five and said, give us some oil. And they go, we don't have enough for you and for us. And so they'd gone off to find some more oil and they weren't prepared. And they were locked out of the feast, out of the wedding. Okay, what's... Why would Jesus stand up and tell people those stories? He told us probably the most famous one, the prodigal son. 
about a son who had a father who, who gave him at his request his inheritance. He said, give me what's mine, half of everything the father owned. He liquidated assets and gave it to the boy. And the boy went off and just wasted it partying. And then he wakes up and he says, you know what? I'm starving to death now. He lost all his money, all his friends. And he said, Every, the, even the servants at home have enough. I'm going home. And I know I don't, deserve to be, I don't deserve to be the son, but I can at least be a servant and have enough to live. And he headed home and his dad saw him a long way off and his dad loved him. And he ran and he embraced him. And he sent for a robe and a ring and he took him home and he threw a party. And the older son who hadn't left hears the noise and goes, what's going on? They said, your brother's back and there's a party. And he's angry and he won't go in. And he, dad goes out to him and says, son, come on in, your brother's back. He said, you know, my old sorry brother goes out and wastes everything he's got and he comes back and you throw him a party and you never did anything for me. He was bitter and he was resentful and he wouldn't go in. Jesus would stand up with all these people around to hear these truths and he'd tell these stories. Why? Well, he explains that. The disciples ask him that very question. Why do you speak in parables? And his answer was this. They said, why do you speak to them in parables? He said, therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Right before this, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He says, I speak in parables because everyone has the same chance to hear the truth, but some people don't have ears to hear, right? You ever talk to somebody, that they're hearing the words, but you know they're not listening? You ever have that experience, parents? <laughs> you know they're not hearing what you're saying? Don't have ears to hear right now. Everyone had the same shot. But those who had ears to hear, to those who have, more will be given. Jesus was distinguishing between people who really cared and wanted to follow. He went around and did that for several years, two and a half to three years. And then one day he tells his disciples, he said, I want to eat the Passover with you. And he's told him he's going to die. And Peter said, no, you're not. And he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter said, not me. He said, I'll die with you. He said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. Not me. They went to eat the Passover meal together. And as they were eating this Passover, which was a roasted lamb and some unleavened bread and some wine, Jesus took that unleavened bread and he passed it around. He said, guys, eat this. This is my body that's broken for you. Now they don't understand this. And then he takes some of the wine and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Here, drink it. And they all ate that bread and they drank that wine and he said, I'm not going to do this with you again until I do it in my kingdom. It was a strange night for them. Judas, one of the twelve, gets up and leaves. Now Jesus has told them, one of you is going to one of you is going to betray me tonight. It's interesting to me that they didn't all go, Judas! 
You know, they didn't expect that. You know what they did? They all started going, is it me, Lord? <laughs> is it me? Judas left. Nobody tried to stop him. They didn't know he was going to betray Jesus, but he did. He'd sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And I say sold him, he'd sold his location where they could arrest Jesus because he was so popular. They couldn't arrest him in a big crowd. So they were going to have to do it in secret. And they went. Jesus said after Judas left, Jesus washed their feet. Well, he did that before Judas left. And then Judas left. And the Bible says they sang a hymn. And then they went out. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, which was a garden where Jesus would go and pray. And it was on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus left all the disciples on one side of the road except Peter, James, and John. And He took them with Him and they went into the garden. And they got in the garden and Jesus began to pray. Now you understand, they've been in this room celebrating this feast. They don't know exactly what's coming. And they've gone to the Mount of Olives and Jesus tells those three who go into the garden with them, He says, I want you to watch and pray. And then He goes just about as far as you could throw a rock and He kneels down and He begins to pray. And the Bible says that He prayed fervently and that His sweat <clears throat> was like drops of blood. And what He prayed is, Father, let this cup pass from Me. I don't want to do this. If there's any other way, let it pass. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And after he prayed a while, he got up and he went back over to where the disciples were, the three, Peter, James, and John. And they were laying there asleep. Have you ever tried to talk to someone at night, maybe your husband or your wife, and you're laying there talking and all of a sudden you hear... <clears throat> You go, Pah. I was trying to talk to you about something. Jesus woke him up and he said, Guys, can't you just wait an hour with me? Come on! And he went back and he prayed again. And he came back and Kent, they were asleep again. Can you believe that? And Jesus said, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They wanted to, but they were just exhausted. And then someone comes from the other side of the road. You hear people coming and Jesus wakes them up and He says, here they come. And Judas comes from across the road and He's leading a group of soldiers. People who've come to arrest Jesus. And they came and laid hands on Jesus and they took Him. They came to arrest Him. Judas betrayed Him with a kiss. And Peter grabs his sword and you are not taking Jesus. You aren't getting Him. And Peter was willing to fight these soldiers for Jesus. And he took a cut at the closest one. And that guy ducked and Peter still got his ear. And Jesus said, put up your sword. Those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. He said, don't you think I could call for legions of angels and my Father would send them? Yes, He could have. And He picked up that guy's ear and put it back on his head. You know, I think about that. I am just blown away 
that these people could still arrest him after that. I mean, just with, how could you arrest a guy who did that? Not physically, how could it happen, but I mean, how could you in conscience arrest a guy who did that? He said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus. He said, it's me. And when that happened, all bets were off. Everyone, including Peter, ran to the getaway. Because they didn't know they were just going to arrest Jesus or they were going to arrest all of them. They were trying to get away. And they arrested Jesus. Now Peter followed from a long distance. And they took Jesus into town for trial. Do you know how many times Jesus was tried that night? It wasn't just one trial. Look at this. Jesus was tried before Annas. He was tried before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. These were the Jewish leaders. Annas was the high priest. Caiaphas, his father-in-law, was the high priest, had been the high priest. And, uh, no, I had that backwards. I believe Caiaphas was the one who's high priest now. But anyway, they, the Sanhedrin council was the Jewish supreme court. They questioned him and they judged him. He was tried by Pilate. He was tried by Herod. And then he was tried by Pilate again and again. He went through a lot of trials that night trying to figure out what we're going to do with this guy because this was a problem. This was a real problem. They wanted to condemn an innocent man. And that's not real easy to do, to condemn an innocent man. They told him at the Sanhedrin council, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. Don't ever let anyone tell you Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. He did. And they said, kill him. He's blasphemed. He's claimed to be God's Son, the Messiah. But they couldn't kill him, so they had to go get Pilate. And they go wake up Pilate. And Pilate gives him a trial. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, are you the king of the Jews? Because they brought him to Pilate, this Roman leader in the area who was charged by the, the Caesar of Rome to keep peace. And there's only one real king is Caesar, right? And they said, this guy's claiming to be king. And he said, are you claiming to be king? And Jesus tells him, yeah. He said, that's the reason I was born into this world. He said, but my kingdom's not of this earth. If it was, my servants would fight. You see any of my servants around here fighting to release me? My servants aren't fighting. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world. He finds out that Jesus is from Galilee and he goes, oh wait, that's my solution to this problem. I'll send him to Herod because Herod's over that area and I don't have to, I'll send him to Herod. So he sends him over to Herod. Now Herod is excited to meet Jesus. Now he's a descendant of the Herod that tried to kill Jesus and he's heard all about him. When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad for he desired for a long time to see him because he had heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. It's Jesus, the guy who does all the miracles. Hey, walk across my swimming pool and I'll let you go. Show me a trick. Jesus never answered him. Never opened his mouth. Herod tires of it and says, go back to Pilate. Take him back to Pilate. He takes him back to Pilate. 
And Pilate questions him again. And he said, Jesus told him, he said, those who hear the truth follow my voice. And Pilate looks at him and he said, what is truth? Pilate's wife sent him a message, said, this guy's innocent. I've dreamed about him. You need to let him go. I don't know what's going on, but let this guy go. Pilate said, what is truth? Pilate didn't know. Pilate knew one thing. He's got to keep peace or he loses his job, maybe his head. That's what Pilate knew. And he's got a situation here. And it's an unpleasant and an ugly situation. But he comes up, Pilate's a good politician, he comes up with an idea. Maybe if I have this guy beaten, they'll leave him alone and that'll satisfy him and everybody will go ahead and this innocent guy won't die and they'll be satisfied. So he takes and has Jesus beaten. And they're beating. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about they were struck with 39 stripes, 40 stripes. Save. That's the way the Jews beat someone. The Romans beat you almost to death. Their purpose was to put you in medically critical condition so you'd die quickly on the cross. That was their job. And they beat him literally to within an inch of his life. You know, they took Jesus and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they put a purple robe on him. These soldiers just mocked him. Oh, you're the king! Let's get down in front of you! Oh, he needs a crown! Somebody get some thorns and weave it into a crown. They put it on his head and they bang on his head. Put that robe in front of him. They stand in front of him and spit in his face. Hey, big king, what are you going to do about it? Mr. Miracle Worker. Not so big now, are you? Who do you think you are? Run around pretending to be a king. We're Romans. And you're a lowly Jew. They bring Jesus back in front of Pilate. And Pilate brings him out and he says, okay guys, I've beaten him. And the tradition is I release one prisoner. He's had his punishment. Who do you want me to release? Him or this hardened criminal named Barabbas? And the people out in the crowd said, Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! Give us Barabbas! And he said, what do you want me to do with this guy? And they said, crucify him! Kill him! What's he going to do? And so, he calls for a bowl of water. The Bible says when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. What he said was, this guy is innocent but I can see you're going to riot if you don't kill him. I know he's innocent, but his blood's on your head. Not me. But I don't want there to be a riot. So I'm going to let you kill this innocent man. They took Jesus, and they put his cross on him to carry, and he fell beneath the weight... Pilate demanded that king of the Jews be written and hung on the top of this cross. 
very offensive to the Jews. But he said that's what's going to be written there. And they wrote it in three languages. This is the king of the Jews. And they grabbed a guy out of the crowd named Simon from Cyrene. And they grabbed him and made him carry the cross of Jesus because Jesus couldn't carry it. And they went to a hill called Golgotha. They went to this hill and Jesus was crucified. They took and they put nails in His hands. A fulfillment of the prophecy of hundreds of years before when Isaiah said, I have inscribed you upon the palms of My hands. God took the punishment in Himself as Jesus Christ for your sin and for mine. They put nails in His hands stretched out like this. And as I understand it, it was probably close to what we would call the wrist because all the bones in there would hold the, the nail. Because if you put it out here, it will just rip loose. And they hung Him up on this cross. And they put His feet one on top of the other and put a nail right down through His feet with His legs bent a little bit. You know, when we think of it, a lot of times you see in the movies, they've got Jesus and they're raising the cross with these ropes and He's about 20 foot up in the sky. Historically, that's not what happened. They left the poles in the ground all the time and the, they had just the cross pieces that they replaced. And the cross pieces had hole in them and the top of the post had a notch and that hole would slide over that notch and they would hang the guy up and he's probably hanging his head was probably up about here. He wasn't way, way up there. He was close. I mean, he was higher than you could just reach with your hand if you were standing down here. The Bible says He hung on that cross. There were thieves on either side of Him. You remember the thieves railed on Him and then one of them evidently repented and said, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And He said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. And Jesus Christ hung on that cross. He hung on that cross for the sins of the world. And these Roman soldiers who had beaten Him and spit on Him and mocked Him and then crucified Him were down at the foot of the cross gambling on all of His possessions. And He looks down and He sees them and He sees everything going on around Him. And He looks to heaven and He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They cast lots for His garments. That means they were gambling for His stuff. He said, Father, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. And he was on the cross for a while and there are several things he said and we don't have time to go through all of his sayings this morning. But he finally said this. He said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost and he died. He surrendered his spirit to God in heaven. And he died. For our sin. The Messiah, the Savior, paying the price for that stuff you've done that you should have died for. For the sin you committed yesterday, He died for. He paid for. And He hangs there His lifeless body on the cross 
And Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and he says, can I have his body? And Pilate goes, he's dead already? Because usually people lingered a little longer. But Jesus had given up the ghost. He said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. And Jesus surrendered his life. And he sent soldiers to check and they come and they see Jesus and the two thieves and they break the legs of the thieves so they'll go ahead and die. And Jesus, they come to him and he's dead so they pierce his side with a spear and blood and water comes out. Runs down his leg and drips at the base of the cross. And so Pilate does give the body to Joseph and Nicodemus. After this, Joseph Arimathea asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Nicodemus also came. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices and in the garden a new tomb which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus. Joseph, this rich man, they took Jesus' body. They didn't call a coroner. They didn't call the funeral home. They did it themselves. And they took his body and they wrapped it in cloth and they put spices in there because that was their burial tradition. The body would stink. It would rot. And they took it to a cave that had been hollowed out of a rock and had ledges carved into the rock inside. And they took his body and they laid it in there, wrapped in these these linens and these spices. And they took a huge stone and rolled it in front of the door. And then there was nothing. For three days. Nothing. The apostles, who had thought by now Jesus was going to be king, were in panic. You ever panicked? They were in panic. They've killed the king, the one we thought was going to be the king. He's gone. And you know what? They may be after us. We need to lay low. Silence. And after the Sabbath, early the first day of the week, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene and some of the other women went to the grave to give the body a proper burial. And on the way to the grave, they said, you know, we're just some women. How are we going to get this stone rolled away? They probably didn't know that Pilate had put Roman guards around the tomb to protect it. But they got there and the stone was rolled away. And there was no Jesus. And Mary Magdalene sees the gardener And she goes to him and she's got tears in her eyes and she said, just tell us where you've taken him because somebody has taken the body of Jesus. And he looks at her and he says, Mary. And she recognizes his voice. And it's Jesus. Can you imagine I can't. I can't imagine. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. The angels told them that. 
She goes back and she tells Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles except for Thomas who wasn't there, and they all run to the tomb and they... John stops and looks. He's faster and younger and he gets there first, but Peter just runs right on in and looks and he is not here. He has risen. He has come back. And the Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to them, first without Thomas and then with Thomas. And he spent 40 days with them. The Bible says he opened to them the Scriptures and all the things in the Bible concerning him, he explained to them because they didn't understand it to this point. And then he told them, you go to Jerusalem and you wait. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and I want you to go tell everyone that I've paid for sin. I did it. And while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven some 2,000 years ago. And from that day until today, Christians have lived expecting that He's going to come just like He left. Do you expect that? Do you believe that? I believe that. Maybe today, maybe a million years from now, I don't know. But He's coming back just like He left. He is the Messiah, the Savior. And He lived on this earth and He paid a terrible price for your sin. People need to know this story. They need to know this message. They need to know that there's a God in heaven who loved them so much He became a man and died for them, for you and for me. I want you to know this story touches people's hearts. I hope it touched you. It touches me. I hope it matters to you. You don't have to do anything about it. You can go out of here and go, wow, that was kind of emotional sermon this morning and never think about it again. Or it can make all the difference in your life. And you can be different forever because of this. I want you to know I intend to be different. I live my life to be different because of this. I hope you do too doesn't mean we never sin, but it means that sin is paid for by somebody who lived and died. He knows your infirmities. He knows what it's like. And He said you can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in time of need. And we're going to learn after this, Jesus told them to go wait in Jerusalem and He would send the Holy Spirit. And the next study picks up where the Holy Spirit comes and they begin to preach this Gospel message, this good news that there is salvation in the One who came and died and paid for sin, Jesus Christ. And all men can be right with their Creator and their God because of Jesus Christ. That's the Gospel message and that's where this study goes next. And it helps people. Are you right with God? Are you living to serve Him? Is He the most important thing to you? He needs to be. He has a right to be. He deserves to be. He will be. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The stuff in this life is worth nothing without Jesus. Jesus is what matters That's what binds us together here. The one faith, one Lord, one hope, and one baptism. Are you a part of that one Lord, that one faith? Have you had that one baptism? If you're not right with God today, you can be before you leave today. 
You can confess your sins. You can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can leave here tonight and lay your head on your pillow and you can know that you know that you know that you're right with the One who created you and you are forgiven. If you are not sure you can be right today, please come to the front and make that need known while we stand and sing.